Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, sponsored by WebSpy. It's June 22nd, 2009, and this is episode 196. I'm a firm believer in sticking with something, and although I'm probably one of the most impatient people in the world when it comes to things that I control, for things that I cannot control, I'm pretty much uh, a patient person. I was recently out and about uh, walking in a park in Tokyo hoping to find something worth photographing and came across something that I've been hoping for for a number of years. We'll get into that topic in a moment but before we move on I did want to mention that on a related uh, topic I've actually been turning down sponsorship for this podcast for a number of years because the terms weren't right and you know various reasons. But you'll have noticed that recently we were sponsored by a great company called WebSpy. And again, here I'm thinking that it's one of those good things that come to those who wait sort of thing. And WebSpy are an internet monitoring, analysis and reporting specialist. To find out more about WebSpy and their great products, go to webspy.com MVP and use the discount code MVPWSY for a 10% discount on all purchases. There's no doubt that patience is a virtue. As I said, I can be very impatient uh, with things that I can control. You know, once I decide I need a bit of gear, for example, as long as I can budget for it, there's little to stop me from buying it. I've been burned with this uh, technique uh, a number of times, though. Let me uh, recall a story from some seven years ago, which was when I found myself teetering on the top of a long slippery slope that I feel as though I'm still actually slipping down at breakneck speed. Having shot with a film SLR for over 10 years, I'd bought a Canon PowerShot S10 uh, point and shoot in 2000. And from the moment I bought it, I'd used the compact digital for most of my photography though I still took the film camera with a, a bunch of uh, Fujichrome Velvia sl- uh, slide film, you know, some rolls of slide film when I was going to be shooting something special. Uh, I found the immediacy of digital incredibly refreshing, though, um, you know, but was not all that thrilled with the quality of the images that I was getting. Vibrant colours were a mess, and there was way too much depth of field for my liking. So I figured that I'd take a look to see if there was now such a thing as a digital SLR so that I could you know, use some of my old EF lenses and get more control over the process. This was early 2002 and I found that Canon, Canon had a revolutionary new digital SLR called the EOS D30 on the market. At 3 megapixels, it was a whole 1 megapixel more than my 2 megapixel PowerShot S10 and it was one of those things that I was pretty much soon realized that I had to have it. I almost ran to the camera store in Shinjuku, and once there, I you know I found that there was a twenty thousand yen, which is about a two hundred dollar rebate uh, on the D thirty if you bought it before the end of the month. I'd parted with my three hundred eighty thousand. Uh, yen, which is about $3,800 before you could say digitalitis. I failed to read the telltale signs on the rebate, uh, you know, basically trying to get rid of the stock that they had that would soon be old. Until that point, to me, a camera had been something that 
you know, you it basically served a pers- purpose. And once you bought it, it could be used for years until basically it wore out. I'd had my previous Canon, uh, you know, my film Canon SLR body for 10 years, for heaven's sake. Still, just two weeks after I took my baby D30 home, the D60 was announced. Not only did it have double the pixels, it was the same price as the D30. And I was, you know, needless to say, I was devastated. It was only after this that I checked and found out that the D30 had been out for two years at this point. My impatience and lack of understanding of the market had sort of thrown me a a left hook that I couldn't duck away from. I actually managed to resist the D60 and I didn't upgrade my body until the 10D was released and then the 20D and then again the legendary 5D. And of course, then there's the 1DS Mark III and the 5D Mark II, but who's counting? I had no way of knowing at the time, by the way, that being able to view images at 100% would show me just how crap my original EF lenses were as well. I basically jumped off the platform almost with my eyes closed and was at the part of the slippery slope where the angle's so steep you're literally free-falling with just your behind skimming along the surface with barely no friction at all. I replaced all of my lenses in the first year, mostly for L-glass, as this was, uh, you know, before I'd signed a pact with my wife to um, allow me to spend the, you know, all of my photography income on photography. As the pixels increased, they showed me flaws in the non-L-glass that I'd picked up and prompted me to replace those still relatively new lenses with L-glass as well. Um, You know, now... Some seven years later, I've just about got everything I need, and that's need in the quotes, uh, like Evan Solberg always tells us. Uh, But, you know, basically I've got everything I need, and I'm just sort of rolling down that slippy slope at a steady pace now. There's no end to the slope in sight, but I'm going slow enough now that the wind in my ears has died down and I can faintly hear the Canon board members that I now realise had pushed me off the slippery slope in the first place. They were laughing as they made their way to the bank. Anyway, enough of my impatience when it comes to buying gear. Let's talk about what prompted me to do an episode on this topic of good things coming to those who wait. The wildlife photographer in me has long admired the beauty of the common turtle dove. This is, in my opinion, a greatly underrated bird. Sure, it's only a little bit prettier than a common pigeon, but I like them. I like them so much that until now, whenever I've seen them on a plain grey gravel or brown dusty track, I've only admired them without my camera. I've never even thought about photographing them in those conditions because the shot would be as boring as hell, and I knew that one day... I would come across some of these birds that were better situated in better surroundings than um, you know I'd always seen them and when I found them that way I'd be able to do them justice. Well literally years after I decided that I wasn't going to shoot a dull drab shot of a turtle dove although I never went out of my way to make the, a better image I came across six of these lovely birds in a patch of lush green grass that had gone to seed and there was a few violet and yellow flowers intermingled in the grass. The 
Mid-afternoon light was shining through the trees, a little harsh but still good light, and I realised that this was it. I had to make something out of this opportunity. I opened up my tripod, le- tripod legs without extending them as I wanted them to be I wanted to be low to the ground, as close as I could get to eye level of the doves uh, without sort of getting too much of the grass in the way. I stuck the 300mm f2.8 lens on the tripod and attached the 1.4 extender between the lens and the body, and I started to shoot. I uploaded six images of this series, and the one, the first one that I wanted to look at is image number 2269. You can see how low I am to the ground in these shots, and in many I actually have eye contact with the turtle doves. The grass is obscuring the bird's body, but I'm making art here, not documenting wildlife for an encyclopedia. Actually, you know, note that in many circumstances it, it is necessary to get a straight shot with nothing obscuring the animal, but here I just don't think it was necessary. Remember that I'd been waiting to capture this subject in surroundings that bring out their best for many years. The heavily filtered light through the trees meant that I had to raise my ISO to ISO 400 to get a shutter speed of 1 400th of a second at f4. Autofocus was out of the question, with the subject moving around very fast. In all of that deep grass, uh, I just kept locking in on the grass, so I manually focused for this whole series. The first shot was um, a pretty straight pose, but in the next image uh, that I uploaded, number 2270, I caught a little bit of um, behavior. As I said, in this last shot, we had a bit of eye contact. The doves were well aware that I was there at the edge of their patch of grass, and every so often they tilted their heads like this, kind of like a dog trying to figure out what they're looking at. This is shot with exactly the same settings as the last image. We can see the dark shadow of a a second bird in the background here too. I think that there were six in total, as I say, Uh, so I just kept focusing on one of the group, and it was basically the I was looking for the one that was in the best location and the best light each time. The next image is number 2272, in which the bird almost fills the frame. Again, I captured some behavior, as we can see um, a grass seed in the bird's mouth, the bird's open beak, I should say. We can also appreciate the beautiful blue markings on the dove's neck and the orange outline, almost like fish scales on the wings. The bright orange ring in the eye is very nice too, and this is of course what I was focusing on the whole time. You don't get a lot of depth of field at 420mm at this shooting distance, so the birds you know, do start to run out of focus at the extremes, but I had, had I stopped down the aperture, um, I'd have lost that dreamy feel in the bokeh that I love so much. I'd much rather shoot wide open and risk losing, um, you know, the the front or the and or the back of the bird or missing the focus altogether, as I did on a number of the you know the images. Some of them I just you know I I hadn't managed to get the focus right, and that was also down to the fact that I was manually focusing, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, but basically, you know, I'd rather do that than stop down for more focus and lose that dreamy look. Finally, probably my favourite 
from the series is image number 2274. Here I'd gone to a horizontal format again, trying to get both horizontal and vertical shots whenever possible. And I got another nice head angle. And, you know, both of these beautiful big orange eyes are tack sharp. The dove was very close to me for this, still at 420 millimeters, but literally just a couple of meters away. There was that, you know, that, that violet-colored wildflower on the left side of the frame, almost mirroring the position of the dove, and some nice long grasses in the frame, sort of helping to frame the bird itself um, as it looks back towards the camera. Here too, the beak is outside of the depth of field, as is most of the bird's body, but the eyes and the bird's neck and chest are tack sharp, so this is a winner for me. A few notes on technique. I was using my really right stuff BH55 ball head, so panning around with these turtle doves was more tricky than, say, if I'd been using the Wimbley gimbal head. The great thing about the really right stuff BH55 ball head, though, is that it has both a, a large locking knob to literally lock the ball head down solid in any position. Um, and then there's also a drag set knob, that they, they call it a, a drag set knob, which is, uh, you use this to set just enough tension to stop the whole outfit from flopping around. This means that you can still move the camera around to take photos, but enjoy the support of the tripod and the ball head. If you set the tension well, you can actually take your hands away from the camera and lens and they'll stay in position but then you can still grab them and sort of, you know, when you grab hold, you can move, move it all around again uh, with just enough tension um, to stop it dead when you, when you take your hands away. It's a wonderful piece of kit. A quick note on the manual focusing. Like I say, it's what I use to, um, to focus all of these shots. I always shoot with my left hand cupped under the lens and this puts my thumb and index finger right on the focus ring of the lens. Most modern lenses that Canon uh, has out at least have what is called full-time manual focusing. And what this means is that you know, it doesn't matter if you have the lens set in autofocus or manual focus mode. If you grab and turn the focus ring, the camera stops trying to focus until you let go of the focus ring again. This means that you can focus manually without flicking the lens's focus switch to manual and also without the lens trying to focus while, you're, you know, while you hold the focus ring. This used to happen with you know, many old lenses, from Canon at least. Anyway, with that left hand cupped you know, around the lens and then sort of touching the focus ring, I just had to keep uh, adjusting the focus all the time as I was tracking the turtle dove. They do move around a lot and have that sort of jerk, jerky, sort of juddery head, head and neck movement that can make things very difficult to focus, uh, especially trying to focus on the eyes and the head with this uh, very shallow depth of field. So it, it's just really a case of, of sticking with it and continually moving while they're, while they're going around. One other thing to note here as well is that I have my cameras set up uh, to not focus when I half press the shutter button. This is, of course, the default action, uh, you know, to, to focus when you, uh, when you half press the shutter button. But you can change the camera 
using the custom function so that when you half press the shutter button, all it does is meter the scene for exposure checking, etc., and doesn't make any focus sort of mechanism kick in. You then use the focus button on the back of the camera to actually focus using autofocus. Splitting these two functions has merits and demerits. The merit, of course, is that it allows you to focus with your thumb and then let go. Then, as you half press or fully press the shutter button to take your photograph, the autofocus doesn't kick in and focus on something that you, you didn't intend it to. This is especially useful if you are recomposing your images after focusing, and I tend to do that a lot because I use the center focus point for most of my shooting. It's like having um, the lens in manual focus mode, again, without touching the switch uh, on the lens barrel. I'm mentioning this now because it's also useful to use the back focus button at times like this, because if my shutter button started the autofocus, if I, you know, if I didn't have my hand on the focus ring and using that full-time um, manual focus, then you know when I half pressed the shutter button, it would start the autofocus, and then I'd start to you know the lens would start searching um, because it's got all of those grasses and things in there. It'd start searching the scene, and I'd I'd be way off, and so I really didn't want that. Um, you know that sort of thing can cost you shots in situations like this. The downside, of course, is that when you use this mode, you can release the shutter button without achieving focus and that means that you can actually forget to focus. Now, I've been shooting with this method um, for about 18 months or so now after my friend Holly Sisson from Toronto got me onto this and I still forget to hit the back focus button with my thumb every once in a while. This never happens with uh, medium to long telephoto lenses because it's obvious when you're out of focus. But when using a wide-angle lens, when, you know, pretty much everything looks sharp through the finder, I do sometimes forget to focus. And luckily this is rare, and I've never forgotten to focus to the point where I'd walk away from a scene and lose the shot. But it does still happen, and, you know, just something that you need to keep your eye on if you, if you try this focusing method. Before we finish, I wanted to say... Um, you know, by good things come to those who wait. I'm definitely not talking about waiting and doing nothing. You have to continue to sow seeds. You either have to, you know, keep your eye out for subjects that you would like to shoot uh, if or when the conditions are right. You decide how much effort, effort you put into this yourself, how much effort you're going to put into getting this right. It's up to you. Um, if you're going to be at the right location at the right time, then obviously you control that. In this case, it was like, you know, I, I like the subject, but deciding not to shoot in the conditions that I've seen so far. Um, I wasn't that worried about visualizing what I could get and then trying to, you know, investigate how I might find them in more uh, suitable conditions uh, that I found on this day. They're, you know, they're pretty photos, but not to the point where I would have really gone out of my way to photograph these turtle doves in these conditions. You might remember, though, that my image from, uh, well, the, it's one of the images of the red-crowned cranes uh, in the mist with the frosty trees. 
And this is image number 1704 in my gallery called Distant Dance. This and indeed that whole series that I'd shot on that beautiful morning during the Hokkaido uh, workshop in 2008 were presented to me after many days at this location over the years. I'd communicated this location for five mornings in a row at the end of 2006 and still didn't get these conditions despite it being just like this the day before I arrived that time. Some conditions will require investigation, some will require a lot of perseverance and at the end of the day a bit of luck often helps too. The point is you'd rarely come across a scene like this by just sort of sitting around with your thumb up your behind. So thanks for listening today. Note that if you want to take a look at the full transcript for today's episode, it's online on my blog at blog.martinbaileyphotography.com. I've not decided on my strategy for posting transcripts yet, but when I don't think it can hurt to do so, I'm going to be posting the full transcript like this. So take a look if you're interested. The images are also there in the post, so you know it's a, it's a different way to look at them. Although the podcasts page with the thumbnails are still there and you, know, you can still look at them in iTunes as well. Our June assignment, Everything in Focus, is now in its last week. So if you haven't got your shot in yet, please do try to make time to get out and shoot for this assignment and put yourself in a position to possibly win one of the great prizes that our sponsors WebSpy have enabled us to offer. To find out more about WebSpy products, visit webspy.com mbp. Use the discount code mbpwsy for a 10% discount on all products. Thanks for listening to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, and I'll see you next week. But in the meantime, you just have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.